0: Well, happy birthday, church. Sometimes we, we are really good about celebrating Christmas and Easter, but we forget the redemptive history is not complete without Pentecost. And um, I, I had a, a great big, uh, not a great big, I had an introduction prepared that I was going to do. Uh, but with the events of this week, I just have felt led by the Spirit. I mean, it is Pentecost. We ought to be led by the Spirit uh, to toss out what I had written. Um, and just to share with you a little bit. And for us to talk as a family, because uh, our city is in a place where we need Jesus. And uh, our church is in that place, and our country is in that place. And uh, a lot of things have happened, and there's been a lot of experience of uh, racial injustice uh, in the last few weeks. And I don't have to go through all the events, Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, And there's a lot of people hurting. And in the body of Christ, since we're all a body, when one person suffers, we all suffer. And we have some brothers and sisters who are suffering right now. And what we need to do is come around them and, uh, and be with them and, and recognize um, the reality that's out there. It doesn't help for us to not think about it or not talk about the reality of systemic injustice. See, if I can just speak to white people for a second, forgive me if if you'll give me permission just to talk to white people for a second. Um, uh, As white people, a lot of times we think about personal individual responsibility, and that's good, but we often, because we're not faced with it every day, we don't think about systemic injustice racially, and because of that, when somebody does point it out, our first response is, I'm not racist. And, and that's and that's natural because and look, I, I don't think we are I, I, okay. I'm not saying that you are racist, but but what happens is we're very uh, we're kind of touchy because we think it's personal and we're being attacked. And it's not an attack on us; it's a recognition of a reality that's out there that is not kingdom is not. It's satanic, actually. Let's just be clear about that: racial injustice is from the devil. God's not like that, and, and, and listen, the church is not like that. We have been like that in the past, globally. I'm not talking about new life. I'm talking about the church, and that is not what God wants. Uh, two of our sons graduated this week um, on Friday. Yeah, I, I was surprised too. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. No, I'm, I'm only kidding. But on Friday, they had a drive through graduation. It took a minute and 20 seconds. We got the whole ceremony on a minute later. They got out, picked up their own diploma, walked over, got a picture, and got back in the car. It was a minute and 20 seconds. Wow. My dad said it was the best graduation he'd ever been to. <laughs> but the reason I brought that up was because the conversation that Marlene and I had with our sons on Friday night was not the same conversation that some of our dear friends who are African-American had with their son on Friday night. And that's the reality. That's the reality. And so, on this Pentecost Sunday, I'm praying that the Spirit of God is poured out to bring healing to those who are suffering, which is us because we're, it is us, right? We're with. You see, on that first Pentecost... There was a reversal of what had happened in Babel. Remember in Genesis chapters 10 and 11, there's a story of Babel. People want to build this building up to God and God comes down and and he confuses their language and they got divided and they spread all over the world and it scattered and it brought disharmony, it brought disunity, but on the day of Pentecost, languages are happening again, but it's a reversal of Babel because everybody hears the mighty deeds of God in their own language and it brings together and it brings unity. So on this, this Sunday, I want to talk a little bit about hope that we have because of Pentecost. Right? I, don't, I don't feel like it's right for us not to talk about Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday, but let's apply it to where we're living because where we're living is where we're living, right? This is today, and what does Pentecost have to say to today? So here's my outline. It's very brief. It's very easy. What is Pentecost? What difference does it make? I mean, why does it matter? And number three, how do I make room for it? Okay? What is Pentecost? Why does it matter? How do I make room for it? Now, any of those three could be their own sermon, uh, and in the hands of a lesser church, I would be nervous right now, but this is new life, so we got this. Right? Okay. Number one, what is Pentecost? After Jesus was raised from the dead, there was 40 days that he was appearing to them, and according to Acts 1, he was giving many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he was talking to them about what he had always talked to them about, the kingdom of God. And here's what he said in verse 4 of Acts 1. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses. So so Jesus says, I got a a commission for you. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, but don't try this on your own, okay? You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which gives you power to do the mission that I'm calling you to do. So wait for it. He said, go, and I want you to wait for it. Don't don't try to do this mission on your own until you get the power. And remember, it's not power for power's sake. It, It wasn't... The Holy Spirit didn't come to empower us so we could flex our spiritual muscles in the mirror, right? That's not it. It's power for a mission. And when you get to chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came. Now, what is Pentecost? Pentecost was a Jewish feast day. It simply means a 50th. It comes 50 days after Passover. It was a feast, one of three, that all Jews had to come to Jerusalem for. And that meant Jerusalem was packed on that Pentecost day. Exodus 23 tells us what it was about. It was about feast. It was about harvest. Actually, it was a feast of harvest. It's called the Feast of the First Fruits. And that key, the harvest, communicates something about what Pentecost means to us. It it was on purpose. It wasn't an accident that Jesus brought by his spirit this baptism on this day that speaks of harvest. Now, for me to explain that, I kind of need to kind of compare it to Passover, okay? Um, Jesus, as you know, was crucified On the Passover, right? In Exodus chapter 12, we we find out what Passover was about. You remember this? The nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. There were plagues. Uh, The last plague was the death of the firstborn son, and a death angel was going to pass over. So Moses told the nation of Israel, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a lamb, you're going to slaughter the lamb, you're going to take the blood of the lamb, and you're going to put it on the doorpost of your house, right above and on the sides. You're going to place the blood there. And when the death angel comes, you're going to shelter under the blood of the lamb, and you'll be protected. And the death angel will pass over. That's Exodus 12, verse 13. You're not going to die. You're going to be delivered from slavery. You're going to leave Egypt, not just any old way, but healed and whole, headed for the promised land with a renewed sense of what it means to be the people of God. That was the first Passover, right? And Jesus being crucified on the Passover communicates to us that his crucifixion, at the very moment Jesus was being crucified outside the city gates, at the temple, the lamb was being slaughtered for sacrifices for the Passover. Thus, Jesus is our Passover lamb. John spoke prophetically of him when he said, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things that those things couldn't produce. He is our Passover lamb, the firstborn son of God. This is the fulfillment of the whole sacrificial system. And the blood of Jesus shed on the cross in the form of doorpost applied to our lives means that the death angel will pass over us. That we are delivered from sin, we are delivered from slavery, and we're headed to the the kingdom of God, healed and whole, to the promised land, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be amazing, and that's what that means. In the same way. In the same way that Passover finds its fulfillment in Jesus, uh, on the same way, Pentecost, at this celebration, this feast that's there for the harvest of physical wheat, the Spirit of God comes on that day to empower them to what? To bring harvest. But we're not talking about physical wheat anymore than we're talking about physical lambs. I got a lamb of God now. No, this is harvest. It's not physical wheat. This is spiritual wheat. This is the souls of men and women. 3,000 people were saved on this one day. Do you think we could use that kind of power today? Listen, Pentecostal power is a supernatural power to do the mission. Some people think that Pentecostal power is when we all sit in a circle and speak in tongues. That's speaking in tongues. And that's a gift, and I believe in that gift, and I practice that gift, okay? And and that's great, and there were tongues on this day, but it wasn't about the tongues. It was about the mission of making disciples of Jesus, and they were given power to do it supernaturally. We need that. That's powerful, but there's more. You're saying, there's more? No. Yes, there is. Verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the only reason we aren't fainting right now and freaking out when I just read that, the only reason that when I read that, you know, there was a couple people that kind of yawned, like it's run of the mill every day, Monday, ho-hum, ho-hum sort of thing is really, it's really not one reason, it's two reasons. Number one, our culture has a pretty low view of God's majesty and supremacy and power. And number two, we don't know our Old Testament very well. Because if somebody was here who had a high view of God's majesty and power and a thorough understanding of the Old Testament... Let's say Moses. Let's say if Moses was here today and he heard me read this scripture, I think Moses would run down here, knock me off the stage, grab the microphone, and say, do you have any idea what this is saying? Do you have a clue? Do you have any idea what this is? This is outrageous. Now, to understand his amazement and awe, you got to go back to the first Pentecost. Okay, or probably more accurately, the first in, when the first instructions were given about the first Pentecost. And do you remember where that was? It was on Mount Sinai. That's right. Exodus 19 and 20. After the first Passover had happened, they had come out of Egypt. They're going through the wilderness, and they're going to stop and meet God and get the law of God. God is going to reveal his law to his people on a mountain. The mountain was the place to meet God. And what was on the mountain? Fire and wind thunder and lightning and smoke, and they were terrified of God's presence. And when they saw the fire and the wind and the smoke and the thunder and the lightning, they said, Moses, you go talk to God and come back and tell us what he said. Because they were terrified. And on that first Pentecost, because that's when they get the instructions about Pentecost, on that very first one, one man entered the presence of God. That was the first Pentecost. Fire, wind, thunder, lightning, fear, terror, one man experiences it. Now, Acts chapter 2, there's another Pentecost. Again, there is fire. Again, there is wind. Again, God comes down. But where's the mountain? Where's the mountain? Where where did he come down? See, here's the thing that makes this whole deal so outrageous He came down on his people. We become the mountain. We become the place of God's presence, and he doesn't just come down on one man. The Spirit descends on all who were there across racial lines, across economic lines, across all of it. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the new mountain of God. That is the claim of Pentecost, that the power and majesty that was so terrifying to the people of Israel that made them say, you go talk to him, not us, that now comes and lives in us the people of God I mean I think if Moses were here he'd say do you have any understanding of what's being offered to you this presence that was so magnificent so powerful so terrifying that we couldn't even have, even Moses himself had to be put in the cleft of a rock and couldn't even see himself how can you not be overwhelmed by the glory and power that lives inside of you do you have any idea who you are Do you have any idea? That is why the author of Hebrews says so beautifully, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. We are the mountain, the place of God's presence. His spirit dwells in us. Do you have any idea the power that lives inside of you? Do you have any idea who you are? If you do, it should take your breath away. So that's the first question. What is Pentecost? Here's the second, much quicker, is why does it matter? Why does it even matter? What? If that's Pentecost, why does it matter? Well, it matters because you and I have a mission. We didn't get saved just so we can go to heaven when we die. That's great. But that's not the point. There's this kingdom of God is here, and we have a mission for the kingdom of God. And we live in a very fractured, divided, and hostile world. I think you would agree with me. Even on a week other than this week, you would agree with me, but especially this week. And the hostility just seems to be growing. And you have not only people who are upset about the things related to the pandemic, uh, but I mean, listen, we don't have to go through all the list. Ahmad Arbery in Georgia, uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis, Breonna Taylor here in Louisville and there is a brokenness and there is a racial injustice and all too often we as the church seem to be asleep and we feel powerless to engage the world and see a harvest. So now more than ever we need to be full of the Spirit, alive to the Spirit, led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. The Spirit can wake us up and empower us to make a difference in this world. John Piper wrote an article called The Holy Spirit, He is God, and he writes the following. He said, I am coming to see the peacetime mentality that dominates our church as a tactical victory of Satan. The result of a kind of nerve gas from Satan's arsenal of chemical weaponry that gives the soldiers of Christ a kind of stupor in some and religious euphoria in others and eventually puts them to sleep at the gates of the enemy and makes them utterly oblivious to the cries of the POWs behind the wall." Who but Satan could devise a chemical weapon which, when spread over the army of Christ, would make them content simply to hold worship services and support groups at the door of Satan's dungeon. Picture the allied troops landing in Germany, marching victoriously towards the smoke from the ovens of Dachau, and then stopping at the gates, setting up camp, and having a big Bavarian beer to celebrate while the Gestapo finishes murdering Jews behind the gates. Satan is satisfied with all our religious activity as long as it does not move us to break down those gates and rescue the perishing. Therefore, at the top of my agenda these days has been the question, how can I get myself and the church awake to a wartime mentality? Is there some way to break the spell? Picture a great army asleep with mighty weapons in their limp hands and armor in their tents. Picture them sleeping in the fields all around one of Satan's strongholds. Suddenly, an eyelid blinks. A head lifts and looks around. Then another, and then another. A strange awakening spreads through the field. Muscles are flexed, armor fitted, swords sharpened. Eyes meet with silent excitement. The light in the commander's tent goes on. The generals gather, and the strategy for attack is laid. What has happened? The Holy Spirit has begun to move upon the armies of the Lord. There is only one power that can break the spell of Satan, waken the armies of the Lord, and rout the God of this age, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Pentecost matters. Francis Chan, in one of his books, Forgotten God, he he does a thought experiment. And I think it's good for us to do. Uh, He says, imagine for a moment that you grew up on a deserted island, okay? So you're, you're on a deserted island, you grew up on a deserted island, and somehow you learned how to read. Put that, this is a thought experiment, okay? Somehow you learned how to read, and the only book you have is the Bible, right? And so you're going to read the Bible, and you're, you're away from the American church. It's just, you're just there on an island, and you get rescued one day, and then you come to church. And all you've ever known is the pages of the New Testament. When you come in, you think you would be shocked? Maybe a little surprised? Because what you read in the pages of the New Testament is not exactly what you see over here. Right? And, and, I mean, having been in the New Testament, you would expect that the Holy Spirit was important to New Testament believers like air they breathe. But then you would come into the church and maybe not hear much about that. And you would expect that, but reading the pages of the New Testament, that the Spirit of God was empowering His people to live so counterculturally that the people in the world had their breath taken away. They couldn't believe it. That's what you would expect. But you would see a gap between what we read in the New Testament and what we experience here. And here's what would bother you even more. That the people who were living it weren't bothered by it. Like like sometimes the gap is so big between what we read in the New Testament and how we live, and we just got used to it being and we're, like, okay with it. And that's scary. But look, it's easy to critique the church, you know. Nobody, you don't need a gift of criticism. By the way, there is no gift of criticism, just so you know. I don't, I don't know if you know that or not. It's just not a gift of the Spirit. But anyway, I have the gift of cri- No, you don't. Okay. Um, but you don't need any kind of gift to criticize the church in America. You don't need that, okay. So I'm just going to speak about myself for a moment. And you can listen in. Pentecost matters because I need this power for service. See, I, I look in the mirror, and all too often I see a stunning lack of power. And, and sometimes I say to myself, really? Really? I mean, sometimes it's because how I look. I'm like, really? Golly, woo. Sorry, honey. Yeah." Uh, you know, but sometimes it's, really? The God who said, let there be light, and there was light? lives on the inside of me, and I'm still cranky? Really? The the God who said to the ocean, stop right there, and it obeyed him, lives on the inside of me, and I can still be self-centered sometimes? The God who marches the stars, Isaiah says, he marches the stars out each night, calling them each by name. And they obey him. That God lives on the inside of me, and I'm having trouble forgiving somebody? And I see this, I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking, None- nobody can get mad at me because I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. It doesn't fit. Almighty God lives on the inside of me, and there's not a difference. Again, Francis Chan uses another a thought experiment, and, and, and I, let me just use it here with you. If I came to you today, and I said, hey, guys, it was so cool. Last night, I had an encounter with Almighty God. The living God of the universe came inside of me, and he gave me the ability to play basketball. He empowered me to play basketball. Now, if I told you that, wouldn't you expect that my jump shot would get a little bit better? Right? Wouldn't you expect if the Almighty—I'd have, like, a killer crossover. I'd cross over everybody. Wouldn't you expect, what if I told you that, uh, you know, this is a 30 for 30, what if I told you the Spirit of God came on me, empowered me to play basketball, wouldn't you expect that I could probably dunk? I mean, you would probably expect that even though I'm an old, out of shape, short, white boy, that I would be able to dunk on somebody. Wouldn't you expect that? If Almighty God came and I would maybe even dunk on LeBron James. I mean, like... And what if I told you the spirit of God came on me and empowered me I had this encounter with God he's in me and through me to play basketball but but you didn't see any difference at all Would you be led to question if I really had an encounter If we've really had an encounter with the living God shouldn't we be different And here's the deal I am sometimes And sometimes I'm shocked by the fact that I'm not Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. When you're full of the Spirit, here's the fruit. Here's how you're going to see that you're walking in the Spirit. It's these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. And sometimes I have those things. And sometimes I have an appalling lack of those things. So what do I need? I need an infusion of the Holy Spirit. I need Pentecost, man. That's why this matters. Because we have a mission. There's a broken world out there. Final question, and I'll make this super quick. I'll make it super quick. How do I make room for it? Because you, be, you might be here. I don't know. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Tim. I, I find that same thing in myself. So how do we make room for this empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. A few things. Number one, recognize your need. Okay? If you don't think you need it, you don't need it, you're not going to pursue it, you're not going to seek after it. In fact, there's a story in Acts chapter 19 where Paul rolls into Ephesus and he asks some believers there, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. We hadn't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And often in history, that's been repeated. Right? So, recognize the fact that you need an empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, just so we're clear, you don't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit, it's not like some people got saved with the Holy Spirit, some got it without it. You don't, you don't. Um, Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Okay, 1 Corinthians twelve three: no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved, If you, the Gospel of John says, born again, the Holy Spirit is there. But there is a filling of the Spirit that empowers you for service. And and the Holy Spirit was around before Pentecost, but at Pentecost, there's this empowering of God's people. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, There's a dam in Egypt, the Aswan High Dam, that uh, the president of Egypt uh, announced they were going to build in the 50s. And it took, like, 20 years because they had to move all kinds of stuff around uh, there on the Nile. Uh, and it was opened, I think, in 1971, okay? Now, um, when they turned the turbines on, there was, like, 12 turbines across, it produced something like 10 billion kilowatts of uh, electricity. This dam, okay? 10 billion kilowatts. Now, here's the deal. While they were building it, the Nile was still there. The Nile was still flowing. The people still, you know, bathed in it, washed their clothes, got water out of it for different things. They sailed on the Nile. It was always there. But on the grand opening day of these turbines at the dam, it now produced 10 billion kilowatts of electricity, which was enough to power all of Egypt. The river was there before, but once that was turned on, boom, there became all this power for light. At the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was there like the river flowing. He's always been. He's, he's been involved since creation and before, okay? He's always been there. But it's like Pentecost was like the day that the turbines got turned on, on Aswan Dam. And all of a sudden, there's now 10 billion kilowatts of electricity. I, it feels like the back to the future. 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. There's, the point is there's all this power to bring light to the world. And we need it. And I'm not debating when you get it. Listen, it happened to the disciples multiple times. In Acts 2, they're filled with the Spirit. In Acts 4, they're filled with the Spirit again. It's not a one-and-done scenario. Number two. So number one, recognize you need it. Number two, ask. Jesus said it this way in Luke 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? I mean, none of us dads here, if our sons hey, can I have... Can I have some fish? you would never go, no, but how about snakes? I mean, you're not going to do that. And if we know how to do that, if he asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask. He didn't say beg. He's your Father, you just... Ask, and the basis of your asking is not your resume. It's not because you've been good enough. It's not your pedigree. It's not who your daddy is. When we were in Tajikistan, there was an old proverb that said, uh, which means, for those of you who don't speak Tajik, that when God gives, he doesn't ask whose son a person is. See, the, the whole basis of your argument. I'm going to give you your whole argument. When you go to God and ask for the Holy Spirit, here's your argument, okay? This is the entire argument that you make. Jesus promised. That's it. It's not because you're good enough. It's because Jesus is good enough. And he's worthy to have his people filled with his spirit. He deserves it. Right. So you ask. Recognize your need? Ask. Number three, receive. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You just receive it by faith. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't get a 36 on the ACT. You receive the Holy Spirit as a gift of grace. Now, look, there's a lot of books out there written about how you receive this. I would encourage you to buy none of them. (laughs) And I'm not being ugly, please, I'm not being ugly. Unless my dad wrote one about that, then buy that one, if you wrote that one. (laughs) Here's my point. A lot of times people will say what happened to them, and then we think it's got to happen in exactly the same way, and we turn a relationship with the Spirit into a formula that we're trying to work. And that's not what... That's not what God wants. Right? So recognize your need, ask, receive, and then actually believe that you receive it. And here's number four, you listen and obey. You just listen to what the Spirit is saying and you do it. This is where you see miraculous things happen in your life when you step out and obey. A lot of the things that we read about in the New Testament happened because these people stepped out and just did it. And sometimes we we never get in a place to see the miraculous because we never, we're we're always staying, we're never stepping out. We're always staying where it's comfortable. where We don't really need the miraculous. But if we want to step out and hear what he says and obey, that's when we see things happen. Now, in just a second, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to make you aware of something before I do. One of that listening and obeying is that there's a few of us here who feel led by the Spirit, and this is not a church-wide thing, okay? I'm not saying this is what New Life Church has to do, okay? But there's a few of us that just feel led by the Spirit to do something this afternoon. And if you, want, if you feel led by the Spirit to join us, you're invited, okay? No pressure, though. But there's some of us that feel like we need to show love to our city by going downtown and just cleaning up after the protests. And we're not going to preach, We're just going to clean up and love our city, and that's it. And if you feel led to join us, great. And Kevin Wu is running the point on it. The Spirit of God put it on his heart, and uh, we're going to meet down at the PNC uh, um, PNC Plaza at 2 p.m. with I think it's Fifth and Jefferson. Is that right? Fifth and Jefferson. And uh, there's a couple locations that got hit pretty hard. And we're just going to help clean. Now, if you feel led to join us, do it. If not, here's what I want you to do. Just listen to the Holy Spirit and see what he directs you to do. And then do that. Right? And if we do that, it's going to make an impact on the city. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. That... Um, This empowering for service, this experience of Pentecost would be ours today. Lord, I sense in myself sometimes a lack of power. And Lord, I just come to you myself and ask for just a fresh outpouring of your spirit. can't have an altar call in the traditional sense of coming down and laying hands on each other, but if you, if you have that sense, like I said, that you have a sense of sometimes a lack of power, I want to pray for you. So I've just asked for you to stand just right where you are. I'm not going to ask anybody to come down front, but just stand up right where you are and I'm going to pray for you. said that this baptism of the spirit was the promise of the father And Jesus we come to you on the basis of what you did on the cross for us not on our own resume or pedigree we come based on Jesus and the finished work of the cross and Lord for every person who is standing Lord they just received from you in this moment, would you just breathe your spirit on them right now? Spirit, would you just touch everyone and fill them, empower them for your mission. I'm asking God that as we leave here today, we walk out as the people of God, full of your Holy Spirit, prepared for whatever mission you have for us, which ultimately makes disciples of Jesus Christ. We receive it now from you. We receive from you now that empowering take this moment. It's a holy moment. And we intercede for our city and for our nation. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for repentance. We pray for salvations to happen, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And make us your spirit-filled vessels of hope. Jesus' name. Will the rest of you stand with us as we're in just a moment going to receive the blessing? We have an, a new member uh, joining us today. We want to recognize Terry Tatro, and uh, he's coming around here. He'll come down here to the middle. But normally, you know, what we used to do is come down, shake their hand, give them a hug. So we can't do that. Don't do it while I'm looking anyway. Uh, don't. So we can't do that. But just wave to him and bless him and let him know that, that you're glad he's here and part of us. All right? So, so welcome him in within six feet. Okay. Receive the blessing as we're dismissed today. Go today in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.